Hauschka is Volker Bertelmann, a visionary of the prepared piano. Hauschka renews interest in the distinctive art of modifying the piano into a symphony of haphazard sound. You're tuned into Roots to Grooves. Classically dramatic intro to this week's edition of Roots to Grooves. With me, Jay. And I'm Jesse. And when we're sitting across from each other and the cameras mm -hmm. are on and the thing is recording, that makes this Roots to Grooves. Yeah. Hopefully everything's recording. Yeah. Yeah. Should we have checked that? Should we have started the cameras? I don't know. Who's on that? Who's our, where's our camera guy? I don't know, but for one of our episodes, we were stoned. It was like the camera was that way. It was out of focus. <laughs> I was wearing sunglasses. We're usually, you were wearing sunglasses. We smoke a few blunts before we start recording. On that episode, it, it was smoke wafting across the screen. But, you know. We hop hey, off this BZ. If you're not on the video, get on the video. YouTube.com slash S-I-G-N-L. You can see our beautiful faces. Yeah. and uh, But if you're not, it's cool. You can just listen to us. We're all down for that as well. Yeah, yeah I heard good. somebody said it's listening to our podcast is is really nice to go to sleep to it'll it'll put you right to sleep. <laughs> Did someone tell you that? i think somebody said that so I, I take it as a compliment that's the first feedback i've heard yeah yeah we're looking for a lot of feedback give us some feedback we're looking for some hate mail yeah all right but, uh welcome everybody yeah it's roots to grooves we're talking about hauschka yeah this is an episode by the way if you're newly joining us we we talk about a new artist a new band a new musical group every week talking about everything from their beginning earliest beginnings their career, their albums, their discography sometimes, uh, their mindset, their approach to making music. Yeah. And our, and our reaction and our, our thoughts about that as the stories, as we discover stories and share them with you. So, yeah, we're here to learn and we're here to grow. Yeah. Which is pretty exciting. And this week we are talking about German pianist and composer who goes by the name of Hauschka. So um, this guy's amazing. I don't know who this guy was, but this is a J-Pick. Yeah, his so, real name is Volker Bertelmann, by the way. Bertelmann yeah. from yeah. Kreutzel, Germany. Yeah. And uh, I feel like this might be another actress-type episode. <laughs> oh, yeah? <laughs> Just because, um, um, well, Hauschka is probably more traditionally musical than actresses. Mm -hmm. If people don't know, rewind to our episode on actress. He is an electronic music composer who has started more recently in the last few years to introduce AI and, and computer programming and algorithms to create his music. Um, Hauschka is a classically trained pianist, but he, he does this unique approach to playing piano, which is called prepared piano. Do you know what prepared piano is, Jesse? Um, I did not okay. until researching for this yeah, week's yeah. episode. Yeah, yeah. Um, I feel like maybe we've all heard of different stories of different um, artists playing their instrument in a little bit of a different way. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know, I can't even think of the name, but like I know somebody's used like a violin string on an electric guitar. Yeah. Um, doing things like that, getting creative with it. And this guy kind of took that to the very next level. Yeah. Not the very next level, but like a few levels down. Mm. Um, 
so yeah, I had no idea what this was exactly, but mm-hmm. I was looking up videos and reading about what he was doing. So this guy has a piano, mm-hmm. and we all know the piano has strings in there. To pay, mm-hmm. Technically a percussive instrument. Yeah, the ham- the strings and the hammers creating mm-hmm. the sound on the strings. So, yeah, there's mechanics going yeah. on under there. That's why the piano's so big. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a mechanical thing. Um, and so, yeah, the mallets hit the strings and then it makes the sound. Just like a stringed instrument, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, but this guy took it next level and he's putting ping pong balls all over mm-hmm. the piano strings. Different objects between the strings. We're talking like feathers. Yeah. I saw pictures of a box of Tic Tacs. Yeah, yeah. Um, anything and everything. And he's experimented with this and he has different organizations for different tracks yeah, yeah. and different sounds. He's tying strings to things and they're little metal or coins. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then he plays music with them. Yeah. And he allows these things to, um, like kind of on the spot, inspire him to hit different keys mm-hmm. and create this music yeah so instead of having a structured song where i'm going to play this i'm going to play that he's kind of playing this and he's like you know oh i want a little bit more of a rattle so i'm going to hit these strings up here where the ping pong balls are mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. oh things are falling over here i'm going to go over here and play something over here on this hand yeah um and i don't know if i'm i'm, I'm not explaining this like the best way anybody's ever explained it but <laughs> i just fell into this and he's basically making a lot of a noise yeah, we'll get into it much more as, yeah. as the as the episode progresses. But yeah, I mean that's basically a good sort of overview just of what he's doing. Getting on the piano. really creative with the piano strings yeah. and making different noises and yeah, and I, and I guess like musically, as we always like to start out describing an artist and their sound, um, I would say maybe modern classical. Um, mm-hmm. Like there's a, there's a lot of classical things happening here in his in his sound. There are no other instruments for the most part in his music. You will hear occasionally um, some strings, other stringed instruments. Um, on one album he did, which we'll talk about a little bit later, maybe is like uh, some synthy bass drum sounds mm-hmm. that have been added in there, kind of thing. Um, but for the most part, he's just on the piano, and he's creating this this new sort of sonic world kind of thing, mm-hmm. and um, and and he's very prolific because we won't really like some artists were able to sort of kind of go album by album, but this guy has had like nineteen releases out since two thousand and four, albums and EPs, but mostly albums. He's also done sixteen film soundtracks, so he's mm-hmm. like veered into that world, as you may expect. Or may not, I don't know, from a classical composer to be going into the film soundtrack world sort of thing. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, this guy's really good. And I, I first discovered him, I think, randomly on Spotify um, from his album Ferndorf, which I think came out in 2008. And we opened up with a track from that. There's another favorite track I have for that that I'll play a little bit later on kind of thing. And Ferndorf is the the village that he grew up in. There you go. Fun fact. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and um, I also got the chance to see him perform live in Seattle. Um, oh, nice. I think 2019 at the Moore Theater. Amazing. Which is the first time I'd ever been to the Moore Theater. And for people that aren't in Seattle, it's kind of this old theater, um, soul seating um it's very old looking mm-hmm. uh 
and it kind of fit his music well. And he was he was yeah. just on stage by himself, and he had his piano, and he had a he had a harmonium and a few other like trinkets that he was doing things on, kind of thing. Um, but he was up there by himself. Uh, just up there by himself. Yeah, no opening act, just mm. just there doing that thing. And uh, it was really good. Yeah, it's just uh, uh, that track we opened with. It was kind of that vibe all night. Mm-hmm. Um, he wasn't he didn't play a long set maybe like 40 minutes oh it's relatively short an, an hour maybe something yeah um no one no encore it's not really like the encore no. uh, i think actually he may have done, he might have done an encore actually he might have like just hopped off the stage and then come back and then did okay bit either way sort of thing. but yeah. that'd be a great a beautiful venue to, to see that beautiful music yeah yeah um and uh yeah so that's kind of his sound and uh, should we talk a little bit about his beginnings, his yeah. forays into music? And, yeah, so, uh, I mean, he's been into music from pretty early on, basically. Yeah. Classically trained, like you said. He was born yeah. in Kreutzl, Germany, grew up in the village of Ferndorf. Ferndorf. Yeah. Um, yeah, which is, I don't know, yeah, I'm getting into the geography. I'm looking at it, the district of Saigen, mm-hmm. Wittgenstein, North Rhine, Westphalia. <laughs> I think it's about... Dusseldorf is like the, the next biggest city that some people might have yes. heard of. And I think he's, they're about an hour away from Dusseldorf. These are like little suburbs on the outside of this big Dusseldorf yeah, yeah. city. Yeah, yeah. Dusseldorf. Yeah. What a fun city name. Yeah. yeah. Um, so he was the fifth of six children. Yeah. We've got kind of a big family. Yeah. Um, and he started playing piano at, as early as nine. I mm-hmm. think it's when he discovered it. Um, yeah. Yeah. And he was... Um, uh so like the village he comes from is very sort of christian heavily christian he said right they have a church there and uh his first experience of hearing music was um a pianist in the mm-hmm. church and they were, but he was playing chopin this guy kind mm-hmm. of thing and uh i think at the age of like is either yeah nine years old he said to his mom's like oh i really want to do that can you get me lessons or something from that guy chopin from the guy that was playing chopin and he's, he's like village, that's yeah. He's the famous composer Chopin, right? Yeah, it wasn't actually Chopin. Chopin had been dead. Oh, him. but he was playing Chopin. He was playing Chopin. Oh, it wasn't Chopin. <laughs> okay, because I was like, no way. <laughs> Let's look at when Chopin passed away. Okay, uh, Chopin. Yeah, Chopin. Uh, is that how you? Uh, chopping up those keys since the eighteen forties. This is a question for the audience. How do you spell Chopin? Show. Pan. I thought it was oh, I N. He's a Polish composer, classical composer, who was born in 1810 and passed away in Paris in 1849. So, yeah, Hauschka is 55 years old, but he's not old enough to have seen Chopin play live. Okay. Yeah. I. <laughs> I don't know. That's what I thought I heard. Anyway, but this pianist. I take it back. Was playing Chopin. Hauschka, or uh, or we could call him by his real name, Volker, mm-hmm. was um, yeah nine years old. He said to his mom, "Can I learn? I want to learn how to play." And he wanted to learn how to play from that guy that he saw playing in the village. Um, but he says his family was kind of poor; they didn't have, they couldn't afford to like buy an actual piano. Yeah, they didn't have one. Eventually, his grandmother gifted uh, a piano for him to learn on, and uh, and then he got lessons from this guy. And uh, he ended up taking lessons for like 10 years with this guy, learning every, all of the um, traditional classical compositions you can think of from like Beethoven, Mozart, Chopin, 
all that sort of stuff. And so his early years was learning how to play all that stuff and then performing all of those traditional classical pieces kind of thing. And, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, so yeah. I think that's exactly right. Tell me if I'm wrong, but he also started a band when he was 12. Yeah. And that's when he was kind of uh, exploring this other side of music, which was like rock. Yeah, so he had like, it seemed like he had two sides to him because when he was 12 years old, he said he had a Moog synthesizer, mm -hmm. one of the early ones, and a big Leslie speaker. I don't know if you know about the Leslie speakers. Yeah, yeah like it's like spinning. Yeah, so like if you have a Hammond, I think it's usually used with a Hammond organ, and it's like this big wooden cabinet. It looks like a closet or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> and it's got a, this big whirling speaker in it that creates sounds. He used to hook up his Moog to that. And he used to play, um, there was this uh, crazy movie. It wasn't actually, um, it was War of the Worlds, mm. which was a thing that started as a, it was an Orson Welles radio show is where that story came from. I don't I think they didn't make, actually make a movie until, until way later. Right. Well, it was originally a book. Is that right? Uh, no, I think it started as a, it might have been a book and then they, yeah, they might have adapted it for the radio thing. Yeah. And it's all about like aliens invading Earth. And when Orson Welles did, that was his first, Orson Welles' first big thing was this radio play, War of the Worlds. Mm -hmm. And they freaked people out because they did it so well on the radio that people were calling up the radio station and then local government things. And they were like freaked out that there was an actual right. alien invasion happening. <laughs> but in the 70s, Without a movie being made, they made this uh, album um, called War of the Worlds, which is like this. And I, my dad had a copy of it. I used to listen to it growing up as well. Based on the radio show? Or uh, it has anything to do no, with it? No, no, just based on the story. Okay. But not on the radio show, yeah. And, um, and, it was, and the album was like a lot of this synthy, weird, creepy compositions mixed in with like voiceover type things it was very creepy i remember it being very creepy to listen to you when i was growing inspired up. inspired by the story of hg wells yeah 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 and uh and so hauschka volker used to put that vinyl record on and play along on his moog and this big listy speaker in his german village all of this is sounding very like horror movie-ish yeah kind of thing the, to me a little the beginning bit like, of yeah. a horror film in germany <laughs> in the in the 70s or whatever yeah and um yeah, but I listened to I used to listen to that album. I I liked it for some reason, but it also creeped me the hell out, and it still creeps me the hell. I out. I didn't know that existed. I'll have to check it out. Yeah, I like the movie. I like the idea. I like the story. Well, the album cover of that original one was like, um, like it was a painted like illustration, but it was like these like creepy alien like space machines with big metal legs, mm -hmm. and then like people in the foreground. It was a very scary cover kind of thing, and uh, yeah. But that's where Hauschka got his start playing, like, you know, doing classical, but then also with his Moog. Well, <laughs> the, that makes a deal. lot of sense because since yeah. he got into soundtracks and stuff, yeah, he had this yeah, yeah. early experience yeah, yeah. of kind of exploring that and experiencing yeah. it. So yeah. kind of cool. I, I saw he was playing Rolling Stones. Yeah, he used to play Rolling Stones covers in a, mm -hmm. in a band he was in. I think so, like, um, in his village area that he was in um there was like one rehearsal music room and he because some other people that were playing music found out he had a moog they invited him to join the band mm -hmm. so they were just playing yeah like rolling stones covers and he said it was the place to hang out because it was a small village there was nothing to do 
and all of the teenagers used to go to this like rehearsal room. So they'd be playing and then there'd be... So, good times. Yeah, he just, he went from there and then I think he was uh, just um, kind of, he said like sort of coasting after that, didn't really have much going on. I think he went to Dusseldorf. I'm not really sure if he was living in Dusseldorf or... Too right. much about his studying or anything like that. But, but he was continuing um, to learn piano. He's, yeah, he's still, continuing the whole time, yeah. So that was that kind of the one consistent thing because he didn't get uh, signed until he was to a label until he was 24. Yeah, and and what happened with that, he said he was in a bar in Dusseldorf and he, he came outside and he saw this guy standing on the street and he was like, that looks like my cousin. And he went went to talk to this guy and was like, yeah, I am your cousin. <laughs> <laughs> It's like he hadn't seen this guy for years. Yeah. This guy was from lived in Richmond, Virginia in America. Right? That was just a random coincidence? Yeah, and it was I or guess they they meant to meet up there? No, it was a, that was a random coincidence. Yeah, that this his cousin had just happened to be in Düsseldorf at that time as he stumbled out of a bar. Okay. <laughs> and uh I guess they ended up I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Oh, wow. I guess they ended up just hanging out that night and that night they decided to form a band together. Um they bonded over he said, Seattle music sounds, yeah. Nirvana, nice. rock, grunge, grunge stuff. Pearl yeah. Jam. Stage diving, all that sort of stuff. They bonded over that. Um, but and I, so when I looked up, they came up with a name, God's Favorite Dog. And he was talking about all of this uh, stuff. He also said, oh, hip hop. But it's like, okay. And I, and I looked them up. I can't find, I can only find one super cheesy YouTube video, which I'm going to play a little clip for you for. Nice. Um, so I thought that, that God's favorite dog was going to be some kind of grunge, you know, in the vein of Nirvana type thing. Mm -hmm. But no, apparently they're a hip hop duo. Right. Yeah. Which <laughs> it kind of feels like it's out of left field. Yeah. And he said that they, uh, they were doing shows. No, they did their first gig. A, a festival in Düsseldorf, and someone in the audience saw them, and they got signed to a Sony record label off, so, the, off the back of the first gig. That's uh, one thing I keep yeah. seeing in these shows that we talk yeah. about. These yeah. artists, yeah. a lot of them get signed by being noticed from playing live, mm -hmm. not particularly from releasing music. Apart from who we uh, unknown mortal orchestra that we just which talked about, the, who which got the opposite. basically got signed from a band camp, release. right? But yeah. Um, Shows, yeah. And also this was like, you know, ooh, I think we're talking like late 80s, like mm -hmm. different time period, you know, 90s. But I want to play this because it's super cheesy. And uh, if you're on the video, check this out. Nice. Hopefully there's not going to be an ad. If there is, I'll mute it. But here we go. Yeah, ganz einfach. God's Favorite Dogs, eine junge Band aus Düsseldorf mit ihrem Titel Lake of Life. Guitar? Keys. Oh, he's on keys? I'm just going to play the rap a little bit. 
life with sunshine on my face. I say, I say, dipping my toes in the lake of life. I got new hope for the human race. I say, dipping my toes in the lake of life refreshes all my senses. I say, I say, dipping my toes in the lake of life. I break down all my fences. Wow, dipping his toes in the lake of life has got a whole new release. They were, the they were human dipping race. their toes into some. <laughs> that was um, possibly he might find that super proud or super embarrassing i don't know the the ravages of time on something like that is I mean, a little bit it sounds like, like uh, they were in the right spot for the right time yeah and and like yeah like you said it sound that sounds that was I mean, 90, old school 1993 that was yeah but that's some quintessential early <laughs> rap hip-hop yeah, yeah, yeah. i mean that's, pop pop hip-hop hip-hop what did i say uh I, no yeah no you, oh, I don't whatever know. you said was fine but I'm just, oh. yeah i'm just additioning additioning to it <laughs> um but i mean yeah that's awesome to see these two extremes from this hip-hop group yeah to the stuff we opened up the show with that we're truly talking about yeah um well so he like um because he did that group for like a while i think they did like an album they had some singles um they were signed to sony you know and uh but then it sort of just fell apart the label wasn't pushing it and that that project came to an end but i think through that and through doing that he did end up like producing like or take on the role of like a producer for different artists kind of thing mm -hmm. and um and uh and so fast forwarding a few years um to 2006 um he uh, this is kind of a pivotal moment he was in wales in in uh united kingdom and he was at a studio producing an album for a group called Music AM. Mm -hmm. And interesting thing, they they called themselves Music AM because they decided they're only going to make music in the morning. Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> I saw them talking about that, and that's a very yeah. interesting way. Yeah. Why did they want to choose that? Because I, I do understand, yeah. like as the, as they were saying the same thing, like the feeling and the vibe is different when you're making the music in the morning, yeah, yeah. as opposed to at night. Yeah. I think um, that was just the basic concept there behind the is, thing was um, to, yeah, what it would be like to just only make music in the morning. And they said they started at 6 a.m. and finished at 9 a.m. every day. And, and that I was mean, it. Yeah. That's amazing. And um, <laughs> I'll, I'll play I'll play you a little bit from that album because it's kind of interesting. There's a little snippet from Music AM. snippet of music am i listened to a uh, skimmed uh, skimmed that album a little bit i think that i believe that's the one that hauschka worked on volker 
Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, he, was he a member of that group or was he just serving as producer? Producer and I think, you know, he plays some keys on it mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, he wasn't really... Well, I'm not actually sure. I don't want to say for sure. I don't know. I don't think he was... It might have just been like a project, Music AM, you know, like where they all sort of got together and thought we we're going to do this thing. Right, like, yeah. And... Um, but I don't think it really took off. There's only like two albums on Spotify. I don't know if they're doing anything anymore or whatever. But um, but it's an interesting concept to do that. It's you know it's it seems a, it sounds a little bit dated now. Mm-hmm. That that album. Um, there's parts of it that are good, but it's yeah it, it feels. I mean, of that time, early two thousands, which we're already dating ourselves. I didn't think two thousands <laughs> things was a thing, but now it's a thing. Like yeah. it sounds old. Some of that stuff from the early two thousands. It's crazy. It is like twenty years ago, twenty one years ago. So, um, yeah, that's amazing. But, it, but I mean, yeah. he's exploring, you know. So yeah, and I think it was like you know, so he had done a few things in that period, and it was it was when he was out in Wales making this project that he discovered the prepared piano thing. Because mm-hmm. um, basically he said he would, because this these sessions, these guys were doing it from 6 to 9 a.m., um, he would actually like wake up earlier than 6, like before everyone else, and he'd be down in the studio and he'd be on the piano just like noodling and playing around with a few things. And that's when he got the idea. It was like, oh, I should do a piano album. Like, mm-hmm. you know, because that has been his thing actually like originally, you know, as a classical yeah. musician. It would make a lot of sense. And he'd done all this like sort of pop, producing hip-hop stuff in the meantime and he you know was always gravitating back to the piano i think and uh and he discovered um his this way just by accident he said like he had this like packing box on the floor with like styrofoam pieces lying around and he decided to put one of them through between a couple of strings and he's and he was like playing the keys and it was like oh he was like that sounds like a hi-hat or something Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then he was like, oh, but I can't keep holding this there because that's kind of awkward sort of thing. So he like started taping them to the strings and stuff like that. And and that's when he discovered like you could create all these new crazy sounds from a piano just by like putting things in the strings and, you know, creating these weird percussive textures and stuff yeah. like that. And um, so it led him to like pursue that and create his first album called Substantial. Mm-hmm. But he said though that um, for this album, there's only like a few tracks that had that technique on it, and the rest of it was sort of kind of straight, kind of classical piano, but new compositions he'd come mm-hmm. up with, kind of thing. So he was still, I mean, yeah, just hitting his stride as a piano player, but and using this this yeah. kind of creative technique as a supplement. Yeah, but I, not fully, and I, as we'll see. And I think also it was like he talked a lot about he said that he had some insecurities around his playing mm-hmm. like he didn't think he was a virtuoso or like a great pianist sort of thing and i think that's like partly why he started fucking with the strings to like see what else he could do with it sort of thing um he got he got through those insecurities enough to like do this album and put it out kind of thing um and he's since said that you know he realizes that everyone has those insecurities when you're starting out about anything kind of thing then you have to push through it he didn't really speak about how he got pushed through it or what if there was anything pivotal that made him push through it but mm-hmm. um could have just been purely his desire to you know do something 
like yeah, different, different and creative. That was not what he was involved with, like to that point, musically kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Real quick, while we're on this first album, we should talk about how he got his name Hauschka. Yeah, yeah, let's do it. Um, because I guess he was looking for a name that sounded um, Eastern European. Yeah. Uh, just for the aesthetic, mm. as far as I, the impression that I got. Mm-hmm. Um, he just wanted it to sound like it was a kind of foreign. Yeah, am I, am I on the right track? Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. that's yeah. all. That's all I know basically. But um, he based it off a, a another composer called Vin, uh, Vincenz. Yeah, the so. Vincenz Hauschka. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he's a like a Bohemian co- composer. Yeah, from back in the day, I think. Yeah, yeah. I didn't look too much deeper than that. Yeah. But he he took his last name as yeah yeah. Um, the name for his his project just for seeking that that sound in the name even not just his music but like the mm-hmm. texture of the name of the sound of the yeah artist yeah <laughs> so i mean yeah i don't know if you have anything on on that but that's basically all i got from him yeah yeah um, and since we're on that first album i didn't look at um vincent Hauschka, unfortunately because i don't think they even have a wikipedia page just an obscure composer that's like yeah because um, I, I did um, try to look him up on wikipedia but yeah um because that's, that's as far own, as i was willing to go but there was no page because that's our only source of information on Wikipedia. Yeah. by the way it's <laughs> wikipedia no don't look at anything else <laughs> wikipedia is great we we go we it's a good baseline of information yeah but yeah then you dive deeper and you find I've, I've also found different i've seen some facts about artists on wikipedia and then i've seen them talk about it and it's like not exactly mm-hmm. right so a little factoid out there for people for mm-hmm. you know check your sources and go look around at a few different things because you know, yeah i think that's different many sides that's different. why like teachers in school don't want you to cite wikipedia on everything uh, for yeah. all your scientific papers and stuff but i would say it's a great place to mm. start or to get ideas of what you should research I didn't have wikipedia when i was in school but, you know Oh, you're back in the olden days before <laughs> the internet. Have, was Wikipedia coming up when you were in school? Is the thing I, I I know Wikipedia to be. It it feels like something that's always been in my life. Yeah, that's always been around. It's been around for a long time, actually. Though. Yeah. Yeah. Late nineties, or well, yeah, when the internet first came about, which is when I was it. starting to mess around on the yeah, yeah. internet in school and stuff. I think yeah. so. Um, let's play this track off of Substantial. Yeah, off of Substantial. Two thousand four. Yeah. Um, his first cologne label karaoke cock and his first what what is it what's the label name K- karaoke cock but it's really k-a-l-k okay <laughs> yeah okay that's Hauschka, all i got too Hauschka's first release I believe that was called Vilikt off of uh, Hauschka's first album called Substantial in 2004, right? Mm-hmm. And um, 
Yeah, there's not a lot of like what he has become known as the style of prepared piano in mm -hmm. that track. Um, he said like as he was like writing those piano pieces originally, he felt that he needed more sounds on top of it kind of thing. And I think that's actually how it came about. I think it. I think the prepared piano idea came after writing the piano pieces and the, he said that he felt like he needed more sounds on top of it, but he didn't want to have a singer or traditional percussion or drums he wanted to see what else he could do so he like dove dove into some like library packs and found like restaurant sound noises mm -hmm. which, are, you, which you can hear in that like some cups and plates clinking yeah. in, in the background and people talking and stuff like that um and so he started i think this was like the beginnings of him to starting to sort of realize like you know what he could create you know yeah, like, like not. I don't want to start a whole band, but yeah. I. How can I be more expressive yeah. while still only playing the piano? Yeah, yeah. And yeah. then that opened up this whole world of, yeah. you know, it's like a, a Pandora's box of sounds. Yeah, like literally, kind of like making his own. The piano is a box of exactly yeah. gadgets and yeah. feathers and leather and yeah. ping pong balls, <laughs> whatever you might want to use. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the the restaurant sounds cool. Just another another way to give the piano piece that he's playing more context yeah, yeah. And, you know it sounds like it's live yeah and that kind of adds a different energy to it yeah so so yeah i mean i think that was the kind of like you said the beginning and he got this yeah. spark and he's like let's do more of this yeah and so he didn't know what the notion of prepare piano was until he started putting things in the strings and then somehow like he found that this was already a thing that had been done for like a really long time. But he'd only found that out after he started doing it on his own. Yeah, he like discovered this technique himself. And then it was, I was like, I wonder if anyone else has been doing that. And it was like, oh yeah, it's a thing. <laughs> it's a thing. And um, apparently there's this guy called John Cage um, who did it and in back in like the late 40s. And this guy, John Cage, was constantly cited another guy called Henry Cowell who was like a traditional composer. He's done a lot of like, you know, traditional things. But this guy used to also like scrape the strings as he was playing sort of thing. Um, so, you know, this guy went from scraping strings to John Cage putting things in the strings mm -hmm. to Hauschka doing that by himself and then realizing there are other people out there that are doing it. And I want to play this crazy track because this is insane because this came from 1948 from John Cage and a collaboration he did with a guy called Hiroshi Yokoyama. Nice. And uh, this is 1948 and this is insane. Do you think this came out yesterday? <laughs> Thank you. 
might questioning my uh, research right now. What do you mean? Because it said 1948 on um, on uh, Spotify here, but that that recording sounds a little bit nice. And uh, and if you click through to Hiroshi Yokohama, not only did it invent Bitcoin, but no, I'm just joking. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he's a super young dude, so I think what I just played was like a reinterpretation of like a John Cage composition that was done in 1948 oh. and, re- and reinterpreted by Hiroshi Yokoyama. And Spotify, update your dates, because I don't think 1948 is correct on that. If that is, I'm, I'm blown away, but I don't, I don't right. think that is. What, we, what, yeah, was, yeah. what were we listening to? Was that a piano or it sounded like bells or pots, pans type sounds? What was uh there are pots and pans but a lot of it was objects in piano strings okay yeah nice to illustrate the idea that um you can do that and what are all the types of sounds you can create out of yeah i mean i only heard a few piano keys that sounded like a normal piano yeah yeah. so i mean yeah i mean real interesting to listen to the rhythms yeah yeah. the um that was going on in there yeah the the kind of the the rhythmic change-ups. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Interesting track for sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'd like to hear, is there any way we can get that 1948 version? I mean, is that, that's got to be out there somewhere? I found that by going to John Cage's Spotify page and rewinding all the way back in time to the very bottom of his album discography. <laughs> and it said 1948. Do think Spotify's so, been around since 1948? Yeah, no. I mean, obviously <laughs> you do these uh, things. Let's see what else they have here. Uh, I'm just gonna just a little clip. We might cut this out. There's, uh, you know, <laughs> I don't know. There's, there's some fact checking that needs to go around on, on around the John Cage's Spotify page, I think, because it's, it's not very clear on what's well, going on. But he was definitely, John Cage was like, you know, been around for a very long time. It's done a lot of stuff yeah, all the way up until like the early 2000s. So, um, But anyway, I mean... Yeah. I mean, back to our narrative story. Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> <laughs> this is some... Uh, thank you all for listening. Hopefully no one's tuning out because this is not easy listening music <laughs> that we're, we're, we're That's why we're I said it's like maybe another Antris episode because mm-hmm. uh, it's it not is. easy to be listening. I mean, some of it is easy. easy I want to see all the, the different dynamics that you can do with music. You yeah. Know? Not yeah. just four on the floor, yeah. pop. So, I mean, it's, it's super crazy to think about what was going... It wasn't just like Motown in the 50s. No, you know, like people were doing stuff like this. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's cool perspective to have. Yeah, you know yeah. that there's still weird people back in the day. Yeah, yeah. Doing weird things that were not poppy. That's the thing we think. Um, I I keep also I bring up brought it up on another episode, but um, 
we think live looping is a new thing, mm-hmm. but I saw this old black and white video of Les Paul in the 1950s doing live looping on a TV show. Really? With tape machines. And, uh, you know, Les Paul, his name went on to be used for the guitars and stuff, but he was a real guy. I didn't even know that when I saw the, oh, yeah. Yeah, the video. And, uh, yeah, there's this old clip of him with uh, this uh, singer, Mary something, and uh, he's doing all these, like, guitar things and he's looping them up live and then mm-hmm. she's singing all these melodies and looping them up live and it's this whole thing that was done like in the 50s and now we take that technology for granted but he was he figured perfected a, a system for doing it then you know and that's um, wild and also i think if i think pink floyd as well like messed around with stuff like that in the studio when they're coming up with some of their seminal albums and like creating little loops of textures on tape machines and then playing them through to record onto another tape machine mm-hmm. to go into like the the what the band was playing and stuff like that you know all of these it's, crazy things it's like yeah, yeah. the stuff that, are, that yeah. you see like you know ed sheeran doing today yeah, when yeah. he's up on stage by himself with a, with a pedal board right these yeah. people were doing this 60 years ago yeah 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 which is yeah. absolutely yeah. just mind-boggling yeah yeah uh, it just was a little bit more equipment or different equipment um i mean yeah cause i think there's a I mean, people were sampling and stuff. I think there's a record that's credited as being like the first fully sampled record. Mm. I don't think there's vocals on it maybe, but it's like fully sampled on vinyl, mm-hmm. like pre-1950s or in the 1950s. Really? Yeah. So Check like, yeah. it's just crazy to think of this stuff going yeah. on yeah, yeah. at the same time as, you know, Buddy Holly. Right. Exactly, yeah. Pop stuff. Yeah, yeah. You know, whatever, whoever was playing music back in the day. So this is all going on at the same time. And that's the thing, and Hauschka didn't even know about this. When he started his first forays into messing around with this stuff on the piano, he didn't even know about this, and then he was surprised as well that it had been... It's funny how he he kind of found it by accident. Yeah, yeah. Kind of discovered it on his own. Right, yeah. um, And then found out that he was not the one that discovered it. I mean, it's kind of sacrilegious, don't you think? Like, if you're, like... I think very few classically trained musicians will be like, let me fuck with the instrument. Let yeah, me, yeah, yeah. Let me open up the hood and let start monkeying with the Take everything mechanics. I've learned like, and not do that. <laughs> but, you know, but it creates new worlds when you do that. Right. And, and that's what Hauschka has, has discovered. And it's something that he's continues to experiment with because he said that, um, he said as soon as he discovered this thing, he was like, on a mad hunt for all kinds of random objects mm-hmm. to see what kind of sounds it would create, you know, if he put them yeah. in there. And you mentioned earlier the ping pong ball thing. And uh, yeah, he literally like puts these loose ping pong balls in the strings and, um, you know, he's create, he's just playing the string, playing the piano and it's creating these crazy sounds. And one thing he realized when he was doing that is that the harder he hit the notes, Mm-hmm. like they would actually pop up and like fall out of the piano kind of thing. Right. And he didn't necessarily want that to happen. So he, he decided like, oh, I'll maybe weight them down by putting some string on them. That didn't really work out kind of thing. And then he decided to just leave them loose in there, but instead realized that he needs to play lighter kind of thing. Right. Which led him to think about like um, now he said there's like events, physical events that are happening that are driving the music. Right versus him just purely thinking about tonality and what he's playing kind of thing. He's also reacting to what's happening inside the piano. He's kind of creating this little world with his piano and his hands and these objects on the strings. 
and it's it's actually like an interaction yeah like based on the sounds that he's creating with his hands and he's yeah. watching the balls yeah. and he's kind of reacting to it yeah and kind of changing what he's playing based on that so yeah. like actively being inspired as it's happening live yeah, exactly yeah so i mean just amazing stuff really cool yeah and so and, and also when he was doing that he said he realized that he could create like if he wanted them to like bounce to like the other side of the piano mm -hmm. he would play a certain way and all that. yeah that shit is nuts like that is kind of like who else is doing that that is crazy like, yeah you know this yeah. is so fun yeah. so interactive and yeah just um what an adventure yeah and i think that's fun when yeah. when music is often an adventure of exploration yeah yeah and yeah, he just went fully into that Damn. world. So, um, and then, so we're on his second album. Well, um, oh yeah. So his second album, and he the, called it The Prepared Piano. And the, that's kind of where he fully dipped in. That's where he fully dipped in, like on every track mm -hmm. with his approach. Yeah. Um, and I have a track if you'd like to hear it. Yeah, let's um, do it. I think this is the, certainly one to, to play. This is called Traffic. And I think it's a good title for this composition. driving track but not in the way that i normally say driving track on yeah voice to groups <laughs> no i love that song though that one's really good i like that energy it has the kind of positive hopeful yeah yeah getting yeah. somewhere yeah, yeah energy yeah yeah it's got all that in it and um yeah so that was that that was off of the prepared piano his second album he called it it straight out he discovered this technique mm -hmm. and it was like it's not he's substantial like, check, this like, check this out that was 2005 yeah and um he's just like gone on from there like uh releasing album after album um he he's done some sort of experiments along the way with um different approaches of things um I don't want to talk about it just yet because it's a little bit further down his discography, but there's a, the album that I discovered him on, on was called Ferndorf, which mm. came out in 2008. And there's this one track that um, I've, I haven't heard all of his stuff, but out of his stuff, um, but I have heard that was like the one that really hit me. And I was like, it sounds, um, it could be from any artist, I feel like, like not, um, like when you hear this track, I don't think you would necessarily think it's a classical pianist. You think it was like maybe like a lo-fi melodic track on some other someone else's like album mm -hmm. that's doing something a little bit more down tempo or whatever kind of thing. Yeah. Um, uh, so yeah, I know we're playing a lot of music on this episode, but you know, there's a lot of <laughs> no. I mean, these are these are this is interesting. Yeah. We want to hear it. We want to yeah, give everyone yeah. some context because it's yeah. not something that you hear every day. Certainly. No. So um, can I play this track? Please. All right. Uh, Fry Bad or Free Bad. What is this off of? This is off of his Ferndorf album in okay. 2008. Right on, right on. Um, it's got a really cool album cover as well. It's kind of like um, Art Deco sort of illustration that you might see out of that period. Um, and uh, yeah, so when I heard this track and I saw that album cover, I thought, I thought it 
the artist would be something completely different. But mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, it does look kind of almost movie poster. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. That's all I got. I don't know any. It looks cool. There's just some patterns. Yeah, it's art deco. Colors. It's like a there's like an illustration of a sun in the background with buildings in the foreground. Is that Ferndorf, the city, his little town? Um, maybe. Yeah, because you said it was named after his town, right? Mm-hmm. Ferndorf. Yeah. yeah. Um, and the then a, and then a person sitting on the name of the, t- the album cover, <laughs> looking in the distance, looking at the, at the sun town. rising or setting. Yeah, I'm thinking rising. Yeah, right. Yeah, a more hopeful beginning energy instead of sundown, sun up. Either way, it's good. got me hooked on Hauschka because mm. um, I hadn't heard anything like that before when yeah. I first heard it and I was like that's interesting what's and then you know get to the end of the track and it's all that and I was like okay like, okay okay. <laughs> okay I see I was like I mean but you could hear Adele singing over it at the beginning or something like that mm-hmm. or it could go one of many in different directions sort of yeah thing. so um yeah really cool motifs in there yeah really cool rhythm yeah yeah just, I mean, yeah, it's just really beautiful. Yeah, yeah. I mean, how they have these songs have really good energy to them. Yeah, it's yeah. like I want to like stand up and just, like <laughs> run on top of a mountain or something. Yeah, yeah, which is interesting. So, like, yeah, I mean, he he he's been doing that consistently throughout all of his albums, different ways. I mean, there's so much out there to explore. Like I said, for sure, nineteen EPs and albums well, combined. I didn't I didn't count the EPs versus albums, but you know. Um, but there's a lot of stuff material out there um right and you know it, yeah yeah i mean so, so we're um um that came out in 2008 the ferndorf yeah and then foreign landscapes come out after that was that right yeah i believe i'm trying to look at oh my bad i don't know let me just put up the i don't think we have to go through his whole discography because it's there's a myth there's a okay there's some films scores that are in there as well yeah and stuff like that because okay. this is a lot yeah. yeah yeah but um but yeah during this time like 2010 to 2014 he started working on some film scores is yeah. that right yeah yeah um he just started working with a lot of different people using these techniques and and not using them but yeah, yeah. um you know just either or just usually utilizing his skills in general yeah um and just getting a lot of work done making a lot of beautiful music with a lot of beautiful people yeah yeah um just being yeah but very prolific and very consistent yeah um yeah he released salon de amateurs mm-hmm. um silfra some different film scores um i mean yeah, yeah where do we go from here he just he's just banging the stuff out up until now i mean i think one of the um film scores that he cites is a pivotal moment in his film scoring career is uh for a movie called lion which i have not seen sounds interesting the movie's called lion yeah and uh it was a uh, he co-composed that with a guy called Dustin O'Halloran, and uh, the director had been aware of both of them and basically asked them both to collaborate on the soundtrack for this movie. 
and um and so you know i th i think at that point in time um Hauschka, aka volker hadn't really had much experience in in composing for film before kind of thing mm -hmm. so he said that they were um because the way it works in films is like you know you um i think with the director and all that it's like you watch the entire film and then you figure out where the music cues are going to be in the film yeah for different moments and um and so like they would literally bring up those moments in the film on the screen in the studio and they would be composing to that moment in the film kind of thing and so he said there'll be different things where like you know they he said they played live to the scene mm -hmm. in the film to record it and then they get a note back from the director that'd be like this is good but i think like the tempo's too high here at this moment it should like calm down in the scene sort of thing and he said because they weren't really sort of he said they couldn't really cut it up because it was like one piece that had been scored for that moment that mm. when they got those that feedback they had to like go back in and um and and recompose that moment in the film based just on, redo it basically yeah and they said they re-rehearse it and play along and play along until they feel like they got something and then they re-record it live to mm -hmm. that moment in the film kind of thing and uh and he said since then he said that was a great learning experience for him because like he said sometimes you know he used to do that with like a click track going on right and he said in later years he's removed the click track from the recording process because because of those, the tempo thing seems to be a recurring sort of like feedback from the filmmakers kind of thing. Right. And he said like, you know, there are there are multiple moments even within just one short scene where you want to pull back and push in and pull back and push in. Yeah, there's no tempo defining the moments yeah. of a movie or a film. Yeah, so he said it's like more about feel and emotion, mm -hmm. which is how good film scoring should be to complement film scenes, I think, is to... Yeah, it makes so much yeah, more sense. Exactly, yeah, yeah. So, and, you know, and he's gone on and he's done some big soundtracks since then, like um, Charlie's Theron movie I watched recently uh, on Netflix. She's a Charlie's yeah. Angel, yeah? Uh, sh was she in a... I don't know. Charlie's Angel, I don't know. She's I know. <laughs> I don't know, forget. <laughs> but... um. Yeah, no, like, uh, yeah, it's, uh, but the stuff yeah. he's worked on, like Lion is Oscar nominated. Yeah. He got, you yeah, know, nominated Academy for, for that. Yeah. Academy yeah. Awards nominated, Golden Globes yeah. nominated. So yeah. like, this is like, you know, good work. Yeah. That's, that's critically acclaimed. Yeah. Yeah. Whether so, he won the award or not. Yeah. He composed a score for the film Adrift. Yeah. Which is like the story of a sailor stranded at, at sea. Mm -hmm. Um, what else we got? The Old Guard was the movie I watched recently. It came out in 2020 on Netflix. And he scored that? He scored that. And by, you watched by that? Himself. I did watch that film, yeah. Um, I well, didn't. I think I might have realized, I think I saw his name in the credits and when I was watching the movie. And I was like, oh, like, what? I know that guy. Hauschka? My boy Hauschka? My boy Hauschka? I saw him play live. <laughs> um, and, uh, but it was, but it's not, um, like the film is the film. It's not the best film in the world, but it's an interesting film. Right. Um, but the music didn't get away, get in the way at all of what that film uh -huh. is about. It was like, I, you know, I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't sitting there thinking like, where's the Hauschka of the Free Bad album that I heard? You know, I didn't yeah. think that at all. He did a really good job. He's really good at just addressing the moment correctly kind of thing. And that's something else he said as well about scoring for film. He's like, because he's had this career of, 
doing everything from writing songs to producing to doing like hip hop stuff and doing like more song oriented things that he said that when he is asked to do a soundtrack, he knows he can do it all. Mm -hmm. You know, if there's a moment where it needs more of like a song, traditional song thing here, he can do that. Yeah. Right. But if it's like something that's like needs to be more orchestral, he can like score the strings and have an orchestra do it kind of thing, you know? Yeah, it's like, it's amazing how well rounded he is as a yeah. composer. Yeah, yeah. Going like I didn't even know he was, I didn't realize they were that much hip hop. That one, that first group, yeah. God's favorite dog. Right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, going from that yeah. to this weird stuff with the piano and the different yeah, yeah, sounds yeah. to film scores. Yeah, yeah. Like he's like just this arsenal of knowledge and experience. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and he's putting it to good use. He yeah. has like at least one release every single year yeah since he started releasing stuff prolific yeah um and yeah yeah and like he knows when he does haushka stuff he can just be free and he can just um do mm -hmm. you know because there are constraints with doing film soundtracks um good good constraints because you're supposed to be serving the storyline not trying to fucking write whatever you want to write to yeah like, not you being the, the shining <laughs> star of the movie as, yeah. as the composer yeah you want to compliment complement or enhance certain moments the, the mood and the vibe of exactly, what's going yeah. on in the film which is a very you know it's a tough trick as a or trick or method or you know i mean skill skill yeah. yeah yeah to like really do and um but i think it suits him well not just because he's a classical musician but also because of the you know like just even going back to the ping pong story again, like, you know, he was having to react to the events of the objects that are happening in his piano, mm -hmm. which isn't too dissimilar to reacting to the events of what a film scene that's happening on screen in front of you kind right. of thing. Like, yeah. You know, 100%. Um, yeah. Or with a band. Yeah, like exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like exactly. riffing off of each other. What are you doing? What? I'm going to do this now. Yeah, yeah. Switch it up. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, really cool. And I think. I mean, the other cool thing to say about um, Hauschka in terms of musicians out there is he created a sound library for Spitfire Audio. Yeah, watch the yeah. interview on Spitfire Audio on yeah, YouTube. Yeah, yeah. And, and Spitfire Audio, if people don't know, is a great sound library. out. They do a lot of orchestral sounds, all kinds of sounds and stuff like that mm -hmm. that producers and musicians can use kind of thing. And yeah, when I was listening to him speak about making his own library... I wasn't sure what kind of sounds he was doing. Like, are these individual, like, sounds, like a hit? Like, one note? Right. Or is it, like, a chord? Um, is, like, a whole chord, and then that's recorded? Or, like, what? Could, how could you describe that? So, I know someone that bought it and got it. And, um, and there's a mixture of sounds in there, but, um, it, you know... Like are they piano sounds? If you think about the concept of prepared piano, right? Yeah. Which is like hitting a string and then having a ping pong ball do something crazy in there or something else. That's what he was capturing. Because I think at this point, there aren't too many people that are doing what he's doing. Yeah. It's a very unique sound. And he's also honed his own approaches to doing that type of prepared piano sound. So he has a unique sound. So I think the idea, they call it the Hauschka toolkit, is to... To be able to bring him into your compositions mm -hmm. thing, in a way, um, he said he had like a couple of motivations for doing it. Um, one was that um, he feels that like if you find something cool, you you don't need to protect your discoveries; you should just share them, sort of thing. Yeah, I found yeah. that interesting too, because yeah. 
I think a lot of artists come across that when they find something new or special or unique yeah. and you kind of want to, that's my idea. This is what makes me like No one else can special. do this. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah if I yeah. give away my secrets, yeah. then what's going to be special about me? Right. Yeah. But I think, I don't know, the universe works in a kind of a backwards way like that and giving is receiving. And if you help share things, yeah. you're, you're still going to get the benefit from it. It's definitely, and I'll bring it back to the Jewel McKay thing. I've talked about him on the last episode. Yeah, yeah he's, the, he's the guy. Because I've been binge watching his uh, tutorial videos, but he said the same. Jordan McKay said the same thing in about episode three or something of his tutorial series. He, he answered a question that someone had, um, and uh, the question to, was posed to him that like, don't you feel that you shouldn't be sharing like your techniques and tips and secrets kind of thing? And the way Jordan McKay answered this, and I think it's like probably how Hauschka thinks as well is that, um, you know, the, the tips and the tricks are one thing and that's good and everyone should be able to do that. But the the concept of your ear and what you're going to kind of create and how you're going to create it is unique to everyone, mm -hmm. which is true. You know, like I, I made this track recently based on Jordan Rakai techniques and mm -hmm. it didn't sound like him. It sounded like like what my ear was drawn to. You know, I'm picking... Yeah picking certain sounds based on my ear mm -hmm. um i'm i'm using his techniques maybe to morph them but ultimately i'm creating something that is not something he would create you know right and, and i, I think it's know, almost yeah. like grossly obvious if you think about it like yeah. if you want to create a a song you're not gonna invent a guitar right or a brand new instrument yeah most people almost like 99.9 percent .9 of all these musicians don't invent an instrument yeah in order to get into music yeah yeah like i use a guitar i didn't invent the guitar though yeah exactly if i what, what would i do if i just was like i'm so unique i only use things that i create myself i yeah, mean yeah. you can do that that's great yeah, yeah and i'm sure you'd have a adventure of your life yeah yeah to do that and that you can come up with some cool stuff but yeah you know people aren't going out and inventing the drums and inventing guitars again like we're all using the same stuff yeah yeah and it's not too dissimilar from using the same sounds yeah in a different and unique way yeah yeah and and i think like um yeah it's like it's yeah different and unique it's i mean like you can i'll take it back to a film analogy as well another another way of saying what you're saying but from someone else in the film world um Paul Thomas Anderson, who directed Boogie Nights, mm. um, he said that he was heavily influenced by some other film director who I can't remember his specific name right now. But, um, and he said a lot of the shots that he did in Boogie Nights were completely stolen and ripped off from this director's movies kind of thing. Like he just like did it, like copied it kind of thing. <laughs> and this is what he believed. And then he ended up like at some awards ceremony and he met this director who was like an idol of his. And he and he like told him how much he loved his work and that. And he also told him that he's like, oh, I, I to I'm sorry, I totally ripped you off, like in these shot in these scenes in Boogie Nights and that. Mm -hmm. And this guy, this director was like, yeah, I saw your movie. It was good. It was nothing like what I do. Like, <laughs> he, <laughs> he did not. Recognize. He did not recognize or see. The first guy was like, I stole yeah. from you. Like I'm admitting to it. My bad. Yeah, and the other guy was like, no, you didn't. Like, I didn't see that. And that was like, when I read that, and I think Paul Thomas Anderson, when he heard that as well in a filmmaking sense, he was like, oh, yeah, there's there's a difference between everyone mm -hmm. like, and how you see something and how you hear something. And it's like, you think you're copying something, but you're not. You're still, you're still you, and you're still putting your own spin yeah. on it, which makes it different, you know. 
And um, yeah, like there's that famous quote, right? Like great artists. Uh, a good artist good, copy, great artists steal. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And which reminds me of something else I did not say on the unknown mortal coil. <laughs> Unknown uh -oh. mortal coil, unknown mortal orchestra episode. He was talking about this as well. He he said that that there's like a big cancel culture happen. He didn't say cancel culture, but you know we know what cancel culture is around certain artists that do a bad thing, mm -hmm. and now we're all supposed to like not we're supposed to ignore everything they created. Like these artists that created these movies, you know, like Woody Allen and whatever and stuff like that, and inspired a bunch of people, and they needed this bad shit that we know about, and it's like oh do we disregard everything he created mm -hmm. like uh, reuben from unknown mortal orchestra said the best thing you can do in that is to steal from them and to pillage it and to like and just mean, take yeah. from it and then to react to it in your art like you know that's that is a great idea yeah and i was like yeah i mean that didn't come up in a conversation about him but it's coming up now so yeah. it's like yeah let's talk about it now that's very true though yeah, yeah. all the more reason yeah. to use you know that influence yeah in a new way yeah it's a reaction right you know it's like yeah i mean it's a half separating the art from the person all that that's a whole big conversation as well like you know it, i think if the art is created it stands by itself and it, it doesn't it's not really connected to the person anymore i mean you yeah know, it's like, like jesus said that you know let the let the one without sin be the first to throw the stone mm. to add somebody you know to kill him you know like I don't know yeah. if you know that reference. I, don't, I think no, some no. people, yeah. there's a bunch no. of people gathered around throwing stones at okay. this person who right. did a bad thing. Yeah, yeah. And he was like, whoever, whoever is without sin, you can throw the first rock. Right. And then no one can throw because everyone's done something bad. Right. So if you look at it like that, yeah. like everyone's done bad things. Should we all be canceled? Yeah. We do. Some people just hide bad things more than other people <laughs> is all it is. Yeah. yeah. Even if it's just jaywalking, you know, we've all done something that's, illegal probably but then you get into like is that bad or is that not bad you know, yeah i don't know where's well, the line there are certain things that are definitely bad but you know for sure um but yeah i don't know but i mean, I mean there's that's there's some subjectivity in there yeah yeah but to loop it back like to Hauschka and his sound library like that was one motivation don't um if you find some your discovery don't protect it mm -hmm. kind of thing. uh the other thing he said is um uh, well two other things one thing he said it was kind of like for his own needs like when he's on the road touring and stuff like that and he wants to be able to compose and all he has is his laptop and his midi keyboard like he wants to have access to the sounds that he would normally use so he's using his own library for himself. yeah he said he even considered making his own library just for himself so mm -hmm. he could compose on the road kind of thing um so why not get paid for it as well in the, yeah. in the process <laughs> might as well he didn't might. say that but you know i'm sure that's a, a notion that, a little, yeah 100 um, and then I guess the third thing as well is like, um, you know, he said what the way he's used sound libraries in his own music is um, that it's it, like he really likes it when he finds something that kind of saves him, you know, like he's struggling with a piece or something. Can he goes through a library and finds a sound and, and it's it sort of like rescue, ties it together. rescues what he's working on, mm -hmm. ties it together. Or he said inspires him to do something um different you know or, or to move on get unstuck i guess is the thing to right. say there um a little know, lubricant yeah exactly <laughs> and so he said that like uh you know if there are composers out there that are working on something and they have his library 
you know, maybe they want to add a percussive element to something, but they don't want to use percussion, you know, mm -hmm. or, you know, and so like they can go to his library and find the key and then bring in that sound and it adds that sort of percussive element without actually strictly using drums or anything like that to do that kind of thing. So it's interesting that he, he, you know, thought about the process of doing a library and how mm -hmm. people might use it and that kind of thing. And it's available now to anyone that wants to go out there and use it. But yeah. How much does that cost? What, is it, what are we talking about here? Uh, let me bring it up right now. It is $299. Okay. Just just curious, because that sounds yeah. well within reason for the work that was put into that. Yeah, yeah. I and mean, it's just I, a collection of unique, his unique sounds, you know, that he's gone through and yeah. done. And um, were they, did he record them specifically for the library and their new sounds? Or did he use some of the ones that he used that were actually on his albums? They were specifically recorded for the library. Okay. Yeah. So they're even new to him. Yeah. As far as being used on a track. Yeah, I think he has some techniques like the ping pong thing and mm -hmm. stuff like that. Um copyrighted. Copyrighted. <laughs> there's a there's a weird this is this kind of like not freaked me out, but I was like, this is a little weird. Like he's he's he was talking about um with this whole process, it's hard sometimes to like um create like a sustained note. Mm -hmm. You know, because in a library you want to have like one long note, like a pad kind yeah. of thing. And like with a lot of his techniques, you can't really create that because mm -hmm. it's just like a one thing that falls off. Yeah, it's a percussive. Yeah. And so he said one of the only things that does this is vibrator. And uh, he picked out this little metal vibrator that he said he found in a men's restroom in an airport. And I'm like, dude, I hope you fucking watch that. But anyway, that's something. What? Why would you? Oh, yeah. Whatever, man. Exactly. Artists. Yeah. Artists. <laughs> But he said if you like put it on and you put it on one of the strings, it creates this long sustained note, which kind of sounds like a sitar. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Okay. And so he's got that in the library as well. for uh, So you can get that vibrator string sound in the... Well, I mean, good for him, though. I like the, the ingenuity. Yeah. The, the callback to uh, old style. Yeah. You know, this was being done in the, in the 40s, apparently. Yeah. I learned. Yeah. Um, but yeah. The experimentation and the adventure of it is is what I'm down for. Yeah, yeah, that's super Absolutely. cool. Yeah, that's that's basically all I got on our guy. Yeah, and I'm sorry if I talked a lot this episode. I feel like I've no. If, if anything, it was probably me not talking as much. Oh, I don't know, but I wasn't the expert on Hauschka. I was glad to be introduced. Um, it was a pleasure learning about this guy. This was Jay's yeah. pick for the week, so uh, a great eclectic pick. Yeah, sort of off kilter from who we normally talk mm -hmm. about. We like um, to be off kilter. So we'll play out of a track called My Kid's Life on Mars. I, just, I haven't really listened to this album. It's from an album called What If. Um, but this is one of the ones where he was trying to be a little bit further experimental and try and do a nod to some of his inspirations relating to like hip hop and stuff like that. Okay. Um, which the, the only thing I can really gather from this album is um, it's... It's Hauschka doing his thing, but he's got some like overdubs of like other percussive elements happening in there. I think, unless I'm completely wrong, he did this all in piano, but I hear some like kick drums and stuff like that happening in this, um, which I thought might have been sort of overdubbed or whatever. But but we can see. Yeah, it. the only yeah the only note I had was that he is performed by fast and accurate piano players. 
Oh, yeah, yeah. So whatever that means. Which I think might actually be the programmed pianos okay. that, that play. Because they said fast and accurate. Yeah, so, so a machine? Yeah, like, I think like, you know, those uh, pianos that have the roll of paper in it. That, oh, like, is that, that a player piano? Yeah, that like plays the notes and all yeah. that. I think he might have like done all of this on the album. Oh, okay, yeah. interesting. Yeah. So that's even another twist. That's another twist. Interesting. If I'm correct, I'm... I'm assuming and you know what they yeah. say when you assume what make an ass out of you and me okay that's yeah. an oldie oh, and a yeah. goodie nice yeah. <laughs> classic hey <laughs> you guys can steal that one from jay use that dad jokes but if you guys know anything more about what if off this album about these player pianos yeah any other good fun facts let us know you can hit us about our email roots to grooves at signalradio.com s-i-g-n-l radio.com or drop a YouTube comment. And uh, we'll, we'll catch you next time. Thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. We love you. Grooves is a production of Signal Radio. For more music and independent culture, visit signalradio.com. That's S I G N L radio.com.